Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, into another episode of Equal Play. I'm your host, Annie Costable, and this week's guest is a record breaker, a change maker, a pioneer on the ice, two-time Olympian, six-time world champion, the first woman hired as a player development coach by the Blackhawks, forward for Team USA, a player in the PWHPA, and new owner of the Chicago Red Stars. Yes, I'm talking about Kendall Coyne Schofield. That conversation is coming up. But first, I wanted to talk about Equal Pay Day, which, as we all know, just came and went. The fact is women working full-time year-round are taking home 82% of what the average white man is bringing home. For Black women, it's 63%. For Native American women, it's 60%. And for Latino women, it's 55% of what a white man makes. While Asian American women make 87% of what a white man is making, that gap varies significantly. So while March 24th marked equal pay day for many women, symbolizing the day it would take the average white woman to earn what the average white man made in the previous year, we won't honor Latina's equal pay day until October because that's how long it will take for the average Latina woman to earn what the average white man makes in a year. Midge Purse and Megan Rapino both took the U.S. Women's National Team's battle for equal pay to the White House this week, and Midge shared this truly chilling statement. She said, quote, you would never expect a flower to bloom without water, but women in sport who have been denied water, sunlight, and soil are somehow expected to blossom. The U.S. Women's National Team's fight for equal pay highlights that you can be the greatest at what you do, win four World Cups, four gold medals, sell out stadiums, break viewing records, and still, and still be denied equal pay because of your gender. So before we get into this week's conversation, I just want to encourage all the women listening to talk about how much you earn with your friends, with your family, with colleagues, especially men. They're challenging conversations to have, and trust me, I'm still learning how to navigate them, but we can't change what we aren't aware of. So on that note, let's get into this week's amazing conversation. Here is Kendall Coyne Schofield. Kendall, thank you so much for giving your time to Equal Play today. Thank you, Annie, for having me. We have a lot to get to in this 30 minutes, but I want to start from the beginning of your life and your career in sport and hockey. What was your youth experience like in hockey? Because this sport, like football and baseball, is a sport that young women are often playing on teams with young men. And we're we're working to change that, obviously, but for you, what, what was your youth experience like? 
It, yeah, it was uh, exactly that. Growing up, I wanted to play hockey because I wanted to be like my brother. I saw him play, and my parents brought me to the rink to watch him play. And I told my parents, I want to do what he does. And well over 25 years ago in the southwest suburbs of Chicago, the girls that were in the Orland Park ice arena at the time were either figure skating or watching their brothers play just like I was. And so when I asked, they, they got me figure skates and I signed up for figure skating. And uh, it's nothing against the sport of figure skating. Most of the people who know me know it's one of my favorite Olympic sports to watch. You can often catch me front row at the <laughs> Olympic Games, the two that I've been at, uh, cheering our Team USA figure skating team on. Um, however, it wasn't what my brother was doing. So after a week in figure skates, I know I noticed that I was doing something something different than he was. And I, you know, as a three-year-old cried to my parents and I said, I want to do what he does. And they got me hockey skates and I haven't looked back since. Um, but growing up, because you know, the landscape of the game, especially in our hometown here in Chicago, has changed um, you know, throughout my childhood. Back then, the Blackhawks games weren't on TV. They were going through a rebuild, and it was a really it was a really hidden sport for a lot of people. And those that were playing were predominantly men and boys. And right. so because no one saw the no one saw hockey at school, I'd go and wear my hockey clothes, my hockey shirts and talk about hockey, write all my book projects on hockey. And kids would be like, you do what you play what? And the kids that knew about the sport would say, well, that's for boys. Why are you doing that? Like, go play sports that normal girls play, you know, at recess and P.E. and all those things. Like I was like hockey, hockey, hockey. And right. um, I did play other sports as a kid. I wasn't, you know, a single sport athlete. I. I'm a big believer kids should be playing multiple sports, but hockey was my favorite. And so uh -huh. growing up, there weren't girls teams to play for. There was just a hockey team to play for that was filled with all boys. And I was typically the one girl on the team. And, you know, I, I think that the difficult times that I had were the ones where I'd walk in the rink and I didn't see anyone that looked like me. So it was oftentimes, okay, where's the girls or the women's bathroom? Cause that's where my locker room was. That's where I was told to change. And, um, you know, like that, those moments of isolation where I didn't feel part of the team because that's the best best part about hockey is that it's a team sport. And so right. there were times where I didn't feel like I was a part of the team and it was just simply because of my gender. And well, there weren't, you know, it wasn't my entire uh, youth career where people, treated me differently because I was a girl there were just moments that I was the only one and and that added up and so um well there was the comments on the ice and you know boys saying oh pull her hair hit her as hard as you can because she's a girl or you know the parents walking into the rink or coaches cutting me because I was a girl you know there were those moments along the way but I think those moments really helped me identify the love that I have for the sport and the love that I still have to this day 100 percent and you said in an interview that if you didn't love the game as much as you did and as much as you do, you wouldn't have stayed in it. And you, you brought up specific moments like the ones you just described that, you know, forced you to confront this crossroads of staying true to who you are and staying true to the sport that you love or, you know, following the quote unquote other path that so many of us, you know, have in our minds as, as I don't know, a, a backup plan. So for you in those moments, how did you encourage yourself through them to ultimately, again, stay true to yourself and your dream of playing hockey and, and, you know, becoming one of the most successful women in the game? I think it's, I think this is relatable to anyone in, in any line of work, any field or any dream or any goal you have. If you haven't seen anyone who has done it before you, that doesn't mean you can't do it. 
Just because right. people are trying to tear you down and tell you you can't doesn't mean you can do it. It, it means you can't. And I think for me growing up, it was leaning on those who knew me, who supported me, who uplifted me and in the good times and in the bad times. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, everything was okay if things went well or I got cut from teams. It was, oh, don't worry, it's going to be okay. It's more like let's learn from this experience. And um, I think being able to seek out those coaches who coached me for wanting to be the hockey player I wanted to be. And the person I wanted to be and, you know, those those teammates I had that some of them that I still skate to this day with. They right. saw me as a as a hockey player. They saw me as a person who was trying to get better at the sport, who loved the sport, just like them. It's surrounding myself with those people who uplift me. And I think oftentimes, you know, a lot of people will think about the women who have supported me in my career that has helped me get to where I am today. But to be honest, a lot of the people at when, when I was at the grassroots level of the game, a lot of those people were boys and men who were strong allies for me that right. supported me and helped propel me to where I am today uh, because I really didn't see any other girls and women till I got to an older age. So uh, it, it was finding those people who, who understood me, who understood my love for the game and didn't care about my gender. Another dream of yours that, again, you've talked about on multiple occasions was playing for the Blackhawks as a kid. And that dream I read shifted for you when you witnessed the national team win gold at the 1998 Olympic games. So in your journey in this sport, when did the realization hit you that you were on your way to winning gold, that it wasn't just a dream. It was actually within reach. It was actually, you know, plausible. Uh, I would say I started to realize that I had something special within this game when I was 11 and Manoriam reached out to my parents and asked if I could be a part of this select girls team to play in the Pee Wee tournament, which is the Little League World Series for hockey. And she was bringing the first all girls team to the tournament. And I mean, this tournament is historical. Wayne Gretzky, Cindy Crosby, the, the best of the best in the NHL have competed in this tournament at their, when they were 12 years old. And Mano Riam was the first girl to ever compete in this tournament. They actually had to amend the rules because girls were not allowed to play. And uh -huh. she was the first girl. And fast forward years later in 2004, she brought the first all girls team to compete. And I don't know how she found me or I was playing voice hockey. So they, she called my parents. I think my parents were like, oh my goodness, you won't ever <laughs> believe who called me, who called us. And I just remember, I'm just so thankful for that experience because my parents, you know, told me about it. They found a way to make it work financially because times were really challenging with four kids playing sports and, and everything we were doing. But I, I joined this all select girls team in Quebec for this two week tournament. ESPN was following us around and it was really this eye opening moment of like, wow, there's other girls all over the United States working just as hard as I am who want to have who want to go to the Olympics, who have the same dream as I do, I need to work a lot harder. But to be on that team and to see those young girls at 11 years old really, really inspired me. And then to be able to be coached by Menorium, um, I remember my parents actually got me her book. And it was just like such an amazing moment for me because I never read a book on another woman or girl in hockey at that time. And so I got, I got to read her book. I got to meet her. It was like this like, like, 
uh, field trip on steroids. Oh my (laughs) God, man. Yeah. So then I went there and I came home and I was just so laser focused, like, okay, this, this dream can become a reality. I need to work hard. And then I made uh, the U18 national team at 15. And that's when really things started to come together. And I just, I put that Jersey on for the first time. And I told myself, you're going to work, you have to work so hard to make sure that Jersey never comes off. And that was kind of, that's been my mindset since day one. Man, that is a beautiful story. When you were on that team, was that your first time playing on an all women's team? Was that the first time you ever played with, with just girls? Yes. It was the first time I was on an all girls team. The first time I was like in the locker room, I didn't have anything else to think about, but just play hockey. Everyone, you know, everyone had the same experiences that we were discussing. And I think we were looking around the room like, Hey, no one's kicking us out of the locker room. <laughs> like, this is awesome. You know, we're 11 years old, 12 years old. And, um, it was, yeah, it was a unbelievable experience. And to think like back that at 11 years old, that group made history by being the first girls team to ever compete in the tournament is pretty special in itself and didn't really know we were breaking barriers. We were just doing what we loved. Right. Um, at 11 years old, you guys were breaking barriers. That is incredible. And I wonder who, who were some of the other names on that team? I imagine there, there's some of them are still playing today. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> Alyssa, Alyssa Gillardi played um, with Team USA, played at Cornell. Megan Bozak, an Olympic uh, silver medalist, also from Illinois. Multiple world champion, played for Team USA. Blake Bolden played for Team USA as well. Currently the first black female scout with the Los Angeles Kings. Um, gosh, Corinne Boyles played at Boston College. Blake also played at Boston College. But Blake, um, sorry, Corinne Boyles played at Boston College as well, was one of our goaltenders. Wow. Um, um, the list goes on. Wow. Was, it was a, it was a stacked team. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. That is incredible. Um, another significant woman in your career and your life has been Cami Granado. And you, I believe you've said you the first time you met her was at her camp. Is that correct? Yes. I was, uh, I was a little seven-year-old just excited <laughs> to go to hockey camp and I didn't realize I was walking into a room filled with 200 girls who played hockey. It yeah. was, it was crazy. That's another beautiful, it must've been a beautiful moment in your, in your um, life and career playing hockey. But what does it mean to you to be this new generation of players, Cami Granado? It's, it's like you've grown into the woman that you, you looked up to yourself. Well, I, I wouldn't say that myself. I, I mean, I, I can be as way above me and will always be way above me in terms of, you know, of a mentor, a leader and a role model and a pioneer. But I know the, the feeling of empowerment Cammy gave me. I know the, the drive, the passion, the vision Cammy gave me at a young age in which I didn't see a path or I didn't see a vision. Uh-huh. And it was that moment I saw her. I held her gold medal. We took our family Christmas card that I realized that I do have a place in this game. And that place and that journey is going to take me to the Olympic Games and win a gold medal. I'm going to have to work to get there. But I didn't realize it until I met her. I was six years old when the 98 team won a gold medal. I don't remember watching the game whatsoever. 
but I remember meeting Cammie Granato afterwards. And you talked about the transition of when I wanted to play for the Blackhawks and then I wanted to play for Team USA. I, I saw Cammie, I wanted to play for Team USA, but the importance of the Blackhawks still in my life, even though I wanted to play for Team USA, was so important because I couldn't see Team USA play. And that's right. still a problem that we have to this day. I, will, I got to see Cammie at her hockey camp, and then the next time I saw her was in 2002 at the United Center when they were prepping for the Olympic Games. And so between 1998 and 2002, I never saw her. Right. And so to be, to be able to continuously see the Blackhawks, the, my parents taking me to the Blackhawks game games was so important to, to for my love of the game. Even though they were, you know, I was watching the Blackhawks and there were no girls. So I had my imagination that I, I could be on this team and I could also be on Team USA. So there was a combination of both that were really important, uh, you know, in my youth career. You know, your name has followed the words the first woman to quite a few times in your career. And one of those moments was when you became the first woman to compete in the NHL All-Star Skills Competition. And I've spoken to obviously quite a few women on this podcast who've talked about the the emotions that are involved with and the weight that's involved with being the first woman to accomplish something and knowing that the pressure of of being successful in that moment is is there in a way that could affect the women coming behind you so for you how do you reconcile the pressure of being the first with also the confidence of knowing that you belong there you earn that position you earn that place you you without a shadow of a doubt belong in that spot well to to quote um you know the champion of equality billy jean king uh pressure is a privilege um and i think it goes back to something that you know i try to stay true to every day is not only following your dreams and believing in yourself but being confident in yourself and being the first to something can be scary it, it, there's a lot of pressure. There's, it's a moment in which you either make it or you blow it. And I think it's, it goes back to being confident in yourself and knowing that you've earned that place, that you belong there. Just because you haven't seen anyone who has come before you doesn't mean you don't belong there because you do belong there. And the person who is going to come after you belongs there as well. And that's why it's so important to seize those moments of being the first to do them to the best of your ability so that those who come after you don't have to hear everything about being the second or the third. It, it's, it's natural. It, it's, it, they're meant to be there. So I think it's the, the best part about being the first is having the responsibility for the next. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I've noticed, uh, you know, through the different things in my career is just being able to, help open doors for those to come after me in whatever it is that I've, that I've done that I might've been the first in, or if it's something that I've done and people have seen me done it and now they know they can do it. That's one of the greatest honors you can have in, in anything you do is inspiring someone to follow in your footsteps. Um, and, you know, I, I just think of the times that, you know, I, the first woman to compete in the NHL all-star skills competition, was that plan? Nope. Was it last minute? Yep. Did they ask me to do it? Yep. Did I, did I do it? Yep. Did I do a good job? Yep. You know, and, and, and that, that's how it, that's how it came about. And so, but because I wasn't prepared for that moment, I didn't prepare for it, but I was prepared because of 
everything I've done my whole life, the work that I've put in training and skating and everything I do every day. So when my name was called to step up to the start the starting line, or sorry, I should say to step up to the red line in San Jose during the 2019 All-Star Weekend and skate, it was go time. Um, and I felt that pressure, but that pressure, I, I've been in pressured situations my whole life. And, and that was just another one. Absolutely. Pressure is a privilege. Like you said, I, I couldn't uh, put it better. And, you know, you bring up Billie Jean King and her involvement in the PWHPA and, and, you know, in women's sports and the fight for equality and equity for women in sport is, is unparalleled. There's, there's no one better. And, you know, she said during a press conference last year during the Dream Gap Tour that I actually had the privilege of, of being in the room for that we are in this together, that that we need to lift each other up. And, and she was talking specifically about women, the, the, the women who were journalists in the room, along with the players who were in the room. But I also know her message was for all of our allies as well. So can you describe the importance of allies in your career? Their role is as critical as anyone else's. Um, when I look at the biggest moments in my life, a lot of those moments were determined by men. Mm-hmm. A lot of those moments were men go, getting to the table, sitting down and fighting for my place in those moments. Mm-hmm. They believed in me. They knew my worth. They, they knew I was valuable and they spoke up and they spoke up in times in which most people in the room would think otherwise. And it takes that difference maker. It takes that decision maker who has that seat at the table to make that difference. So when we talk about allies in women's sports, there's a lot of decision makers that need to start thinking differently about women's sports. If we want to see the changes that we know, need to be made so that women's sports are valued and respected just like men's sports. Uh Um, You know, I I think we have a ways to go, but it it takes allies who have, who have been in sports for, for years on end, years on end to, to make those decisions. And you look at someone like Arnhem from the Chicago red stars, right? The, the, the way that he's supported and invested, and and carried the Chicago Red Stars over over its existence, mm-hmm. and you know the, the the changes that he's made this year by by having new owners come on board to support and promote and, and advance the team. He knows he can take it to a whole nother level, mm-hmm. and having more seats at the table and more voices and opinions, he knows is going to change the traje- trajectory of the team. And so, I I think you know. I've had some incredible allies along my career and I'm very thankful for them. And I hope they know they they've made a difference and to not stop. And if you're an ally, if you're a decision maker, make sure you make your decisions with an open mind um, Mm -hmm. and not, not the way that things have been done the last hundred years in professional sports. 100%. Um, Obviously, you know, the recent news of, of you and your husband becoming owners of the Chicago Red Stars has just sent shockwaves through the sports world. And you said in that introductory press conference that you believe 
women's soccer is 20 years ahead of women's hockey. And we, we've spoken before this, but I'm going to ask you again um, for our listeners of equal play. What are you hoping to learn from this experience and from becoming an owner of the Chicago Red Stars and bring to the PWHPA and the growth of women's hockey? A lot, Annie, a <laughs> lot. Um, I don't have enough notebooks uh, to um, ta- bring to the table of the amount of things I want to write down, the amount of things I want to learn, the amount of things that I know I can take from this experience as an owner with the Red Stars and bring it to women's professional hockey. I, there's the, the list goes on and on and on. And the ability to learn and pick the brains of the other owners at the table, Sarah Spain being one of those that I'm so looking forward to working with. Uh, but I, I think there's, there's so much because we in women's hockey look up to women's soccer. Mm-hmm. It's been a successful team sport. We know that always hasn't been the case. We know we, we see the fight. Uh, we've had our own fights. We have our own fight right now. I mean, you look back to 2017 when, when the Team USA boycotted the world championships, we reached out to women's soccer. How do we do this? Their lawyers, Ballard Spar, who represented the 99ers, are currently our lawyers. Mm-hmm. We, we've looked to women's soccer for advice, and they've, they've taught us how to be true advocates and to stand up for what we know is right, to fight for equity, to fight for equality. Before 2017, we were we were just going about our ways, knowing things weren't right, but didn't know really how or why or when to change them because they've been this way forever. Right. And so we've we've looked to women's soccer as leaders. And when it comes to the NWSL and the model of consistency and sustainability, that's and growth. That's what we need in women's hockey. We see expansion teams. Coming, coming year after year, we see the salaries of the players increasing. We see the resources improving. We saw the NWSL return as the first professional league to return during a global pandemic and have 100% success in terms of no positive cases. Right. You know, like these are the things that need to be told more often. We, we're seeing women's, the NWSL games on TV. I know I've been sitting, I'm, I sat and watched on my couch, the Challenge <laughs> Cup, turning the, the Red Stars on, but... Um, it, you know, there's so much that women's soccer does that women's hockey hasn't even scratched the surface of yet. And I look forward to engaging in those conversations and being able to bring them to the sport of women's hockey. We love to obsess over people's highlight reel. And, and obviously when you have a highlight reel like yours, it is an inspiring one to watch, but I wonder for you, what lesson has taken you the longest to learn has been the most challenging to learn, but has impacted your career and life in the most significant way. Oh, wow. That's a hard question. Um, I think for me, it's, it's been embracing the journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, there in, in the world of sports, there's no script. There's, there's ups, there's downs, there's injuries, there's getting cut, there's trying to make ends meet, balance two jobs, find out where your next training session is going to be, and and all of these things that I do on a regular basis. And I think 
if I haven't been able to embrace the journey that I've been on through sport the way I have, I wouldn't be able to keep doing it the way I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned so much more from the, the obstacles and the moments in which have hurt more than have helped. I've learned more from the times that I've lost and, and, you know, brought home a silver medal and not a gold medal. And, and I think those moments have taught me so much, not only about sport, but about my life and have helped me help me be the best role model I can be. Um, but I, I, I really think it's just the journey through sport that has transcended me through life. Definitely. And lastly for you, Kendall, and I can already imagine your answer, but have asked every woman that's, that's given me their time on this podcast, but what is your hope for the next generation of women in sports? And if you want to be specific women in hockey, I want them to be able to make a living playing the game of hockey. If they're good enough to do so, I want them to have the resources, the infrastructure, that provides them the opportunity to be truly professional Mm -hmm. that allows them to put the best products on the court field, ice, whatever playing surface it is. But I want women to be able to call professional sports, their living, not their hobby. Oh, that is perfectly said. Call it their, their career, not, not a hobby. Kendall, I appreciate you so much for giving your time to equal play and the career that, that you are, that you have and, and the way it's paved the way for so many women to come up behind you. Thank you so much again for giving your time to equal play. And I look forward to talking to you in the future. <laughs>